Okay, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Uh, the title of this sermon is The Coming of Christ. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is God's word. Well, we continue to live in unprecedented times in our country, uh, both uh, regarding health issues and this COVID crisis, uh, and additionally regarding civil and racial unrest in our country. I, I really, in my short span of 50 years on this earth, I don't know that I've seen such a, uh, a time of, of upheaval or unrest in our country. And uh, the question is, uh, you know, how's it going to turn out? How are these issues going to get resolved? What does the future hold? And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if I could know that in advance? What was that, that show? If you remember that show where they got a newspaper, uh, the morning report or something like that, and, and it, it detailed what was going to happen the next day and they got it the day before. What if we could know how things were going to turn out regarding these uh, issues going on in our country? I think that would bring great peace, if you will, to know the end of the story, even if you're living at the beginning or the middle of it. Um, the Thessalonians are living at the beginning of the story, at least at the beginning of the story of the interval from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. First Thessalonians is one of the first uh, books written, the first epistles. It's probably written somewhere between 50 and 55 AD. So we're talking about 20, 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and some of them have lost family. They've lost friends. They've lost spouses. They've lost jobs. And they're wondering, how is this all going to turn out? What if they've missed something? And in particular, the issue that they're focused on are those who have already died in Christ. If they've already died in Christ and Christ comes back, are they going to miss out on what Christ, uh, when Christ comes? That they, They've been lost. They've been forgotten. And so what Paul is doing as an apostle, uh, appointed by Christ Jesus, is telling them through the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how the story ends. It's not telling all of how the story ends, but he's giving us these great truths so we can know how the story ends. And as a result, that can give us the freedom to live with peace. It can give us the freedom to live with power and expectation and hope as we are in the middle of the story. That's why verse 13 says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In the situation of the resurrection, the return of Christ, ignorance is not bliss. And so I'm going to give you in our short sermon here 
Five truths of the second coming. Five points to my sermon. Think of this sermon as a star with five points rather than the customary triangle. Because it is that the certain future return of Jesus, the certain future return of Jesus provides us with the power for present living. So let's learn about these five particular truths that are given in this passage about the second coming of Christ. The first is that it's impending. It's an impending coming. Notice verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now that's a very interesting phrase that Paul uses. We declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, it seems as if Paul's seeming to say that he will be alive, that the Thessalonian church that he's speaking to will be alive in the coming of Christ. Now, it would be easy to think that if you were part of that church. It's, it's been 25 years. There are people, I'm sure, that they've been in contact. If you remember, Jesus appeared to many people uh, before, in between his death and his resurrection and ascension. In fact, he appeared to over 500 people at one time, most of those still alive at the writing of these epistles. And so they would know people, they would have seen, maybe communicated with people who had seen Jesus before. And indeed, what were the last words that were given about Jesus? They're actually, you have to go past the Gospels into the book of Acts. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples before he was taken up, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is the last thing that happens, and it says, Acts 1.10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so it would be very easy to believe that Jesus is going to come back in their lifetime. But Paul is smarter than simply to be able to say absolutely, because he knows what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, no one knows the day. Not even he knew the day, but only the Heavenly Father, when it would be time for Jesus to come back. And so it is impossible to fully determine whatever particular day it is. And so when he's saying, we who are alive, he's speaking in a larger context. He's speaking quite possibly to us. He's been speaking to every generation, as this book has been from the beginning of Christ's, uh, of, of Christ's uh, ascension that we could actually be the generation who are alive, who are left. Some generation will be those people. Will, do you mind shutting that back door for me? I would appreciate it. So it's the point that I'm trying to make here is that it is coming. Is it coming in our lifetime? There's no way to know. We do know there are some truths, that the gospel must be preached to all nations, we know that there are unreached people groups. Do those represent nations? We're not exactly sure. Jesus' coming could be in 500 years. It could be in 1,000 years. It could be in 20 minutes, though, depending on his definition. The point is that it is impending. It is coming. Now, there are scoffers 
such as back in that time, 2 Peter 3.3, that said, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, and they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord has his plan, and he is working his plan. And his salvation is coming, and it's advancing. The kingdom is advancing, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is impending, and it will come at its proper time. And as it says in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so as, our, uh, as the uh, return of Christ is impending, our attitude should be that of wakefulness. It's interesting uh, how it speaks of those who have fallen asleep, the dead in Christ. But the advocation for those who are awake is to stay awake. Matthew 24, 42, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the Lord had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also should be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Brothers and sisters, we think of the past and we think of Christ living on the earth and we think of his ascension and we think of the future. We think of heaven and what it's going to be like, maybe to see lost and loved ones, to see Jesus Christ. But how often do we think of his second coming? How often are we scanning the sky? How often are we scanning the world? I love this quote, that the apostolic church thought more about the second coming of Jesus Christ than about death and heaven. The early Christians were looking not for a cleft in the ground called a grave, but for a cleavage in the sky called glory. I think there's a reason that God gave us two eyes, so we could keep one fixed on this earth, but one always fixed on the sky. Try that, it's not that easy. Keeping our focus, keeping watch on the second coming of Christ, for it is impending and will come in its proper time. This leads me to my second point, that the coming of Christ will not only be impending, but it will also be unmistakable. It will be unmistakable. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an angel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. There are those out there who teach a two-stage coming of the Lord. But it really has no biblical warrant without doing a lot of gymnastics with the scripture. You know, if you've seen that bumper sticker, in case of the rapture, this car will be unmanned. But the Bible clearly teaches a one time coming of the Lord, and that it will be unmistakable. Notice what will happen here when the Lord comes again. For the Lord will descend from heaven, verse 16, with a cry of command. It's interesting to think, what will this command be, and who will the cry come from? 
I wonder that sometime. I think that the command will be from God. It's only him who knows when the time is to initiate the coming of Jesus Christ. Will the words be, and so it ends, and so it begins? Or the time is now? Or the Savior comes? We don't know, but we do know it will be a cry of command. That means, in the Greek, a loud cry of command. This is not something that's going to be whispered in a corner. Commands are meant to be uttered with conviction and with power. It's a cry of command. But there's not only a cry of command, there's the voice of an archangel. Now, as far as we know, there's only one archangel named in the Bible, arch meaning chief or the head of the angels. And and, uh, they're impossible to count how many angels there are, but it would seem that there are tens of tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands, and these powerful angelic beings uh, are in the heavenly realms. And the voice of an archangel, the one in charge of all of these powerful beings, there's stories of one angel going into the field and putting over 100,000 people to death, just one angel. And this is the archangel who's over all of those angels. I don't know what the voice of an archangel sounds like, but my guess is it's not going to be a soft one. My guess is it's going to be one that everyone on the earth is going to be able to hear, for he will be communicating with the world and will be communicating with all of the angelic host that comes. And then we see that it's with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of a trumpet. Now, I don't know about you, but to uh, just about everyone else, the trumpet is a loud instrument. That's why no one invites Bill Flitter to play at their small group. Okay? It's too loud. The trumpet isn't meant for small group. The trumpet is meant for the parade ground or the battlefield. You could have a hundred-piece orchestra, and when the trumpet plays, you will hear it. In fact, if you look at all of the woodwinds that sit in front of the trumpet, they all wear noise-canceling things in their ears because of the sound of the trumpet. It's loud. It's unmistakable. And it signifies something. We hear the sound of the trumpet in various other places in the Bible. In Exodus 19, 18, when the people of Israel have been brought out of Egypt and they're led to Mount Sinai to meet with God, it says, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke And God answered him in thunder. The sound of the trumpet is the sound of God to meet with his people. And there is going to be nothing unmistakable about that. It's loud. The point of this is there's not two second comings, there's just one. And when he comes, the world won't miss it. God will not miss the appointed time to come. And we won't miss it. And every second, it draws near. Now, if you run a race, a race always begins with a loud noise. Usually a starter's pistol, or now they've changed it over, they play it over the the PA or whatever, but it's a loud voice to start the race. And the race finishes, not with a whisper, because there are crowds there, but not with a bang. But this is the exact opposite, isn't it? 
The Christian life often begins with a whisper. And it's going to end with a bang. It's going to end with Jesus Christ coming with all of his tens of hundreds of thousands of angels. So what are you listening for? There are many things to listen for in this earth, aren't there? The voice of a loved one, which is a beautiful thing. The cry of a new child brought into the world. Friends and family and entertainment. But when you're running a race and desperate to get to the end, I know you're looking to the finish line, hoping to see that banner that says, I've arrived. In the same way, what we should be listening for is the cry of command, is the voice of the archangel, and the sound of the trumpet. We should be thinking, I just need to make it there. I need to keep running until the end of the race. See, it doesn't matter how I started this race, does it? In many ways, it's important, but it only matters in the end if I end this race right. So strive to put Jesus first. If you have not done business with the Lord yet, maybe it's time for you to bow the knee to the true King of kings and Lord of lords. To bow your knee and to make him Lord and Savior of your life. Because at some point, and no one knows when it is, the sound of the trumpet will come and the race will be over. The coming of the Lord is impending and it's unmistakable. Number three, the coming of the Lord is transformative. It's transformative. Verse 13 again, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Now what's he talking about when he's talking about those who are asleep, those who have fallen asleep? He's not talking about the souls of people. He's talking about those who have died in the Lord, but he's not talking about their souls. They're very much alive. He's talking about their bodies that are in the grave or they're in the urn, that they are decomposing because their souls are very much alive. Remember Jesus Christ with the thief on the cross who's right next to him? And he says, remember me, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. The body dies, the body is asleep, but the spirit is alive for those who are in Christ. If in the end there is no hope, if there is no awakening from this sleep of death, what is the point, right? Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It was Jesus that set the template. He died on the cross, he went into the tomb, and three days later, he bodily rose from the grave. And he met with his disciples, and he met with all these people. He ate and drank and showed that he was fully human, as well as fully God. And Jesus, when he comes with this loud cry and this trumpet, is going to be bringing with him 
all of those who have died in Christ up to then. Jesus Christ died around A.D. 33. It's the year 2020. So think of all of those people that will be coming, if you will, the spirits who will be coming along the souls of those people. And something unbelievable will happen as those souls are distributed back to their bodies and reunited with a resurrection body that's created. Now, if you've seen, you know, the, our fascination with zombies, these things coming out of the ground, uh, you know, the, the undead, if you will, but this is totally different. It's much more like a, a butterfly in a chrysalis, something beautiful and majestic appearing and forming that we would be, er, that we would be tempted to worship if it was not happening to us ourselves. And so what Paul is saying here is that God, through Jesus Christ, is going to bring the dead in Christ back. And he goes on and says, for this we declare to you by of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. When he's talking about preceding those who have fallen asleep, he's talking about this resurrection change. That it is the dead in Christ, verse 16, who will rise first with this resurrection body. And then those who are alive already will be transformed right then and there in full sight of everyone. What a glorious picture it will be. Dead people cannot rise. Only living people, unless it's in the movies. Here's 1 Corinthians 15, 51 that gives us more explanation. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He's speaking to believers. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. As Jesus emerged from the tomb, not with a, a mangled, broken body, but with a beautiful body with supernatural powers, so shall we, that we will be imperishable, that the stench and stain of death will no longer be in ourselves, that the mortal shall be clothed with immortality. It's a transformative process when Christ comes. It's encouraging. That brings me uh, to my fourth point. Because we don't have to grieve as those who have no hope. My wife and I and our family have uh, witnessed the loss of our oldest son, Mark, and there is a deep yearning in our heart to see him again. And there is deep grief, and uh, time heals, certainly, uh, but there is a piercing longing from time to time. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope. For according to the Scriptures... We know of Mark's faith in the Lord that Mark is not dead, that he's asleep. 
In fact, his soul is very much alive and his body is asleep. And one day they will be reunited and we will see him again. When um, uh, our oldest son died, we went to uh, support groups uh, to be a part of sharing grief with other people. And one of the things I found that was very interesting, challenging, very sad actually, there were some people in those groups that had been in those groups for 20 years. There were some who were leading those groups, but there were some who were in that group that had been in that group for 20 years. I thought to myself, why have you been in this group for 20 years? And the answer is because they can't move on. Because life stopped. It ended at that particular time when they lost that loved one. Because they have no hope. There's no hope that I'll see them again. And so we don't want to go forward. We want to go backwards. We want to stay there as long as we can. But the second coming of Christ is encouraging. Do you grieve for someone? Perhaps not yet. But if you don't, you will. It's just a matter of time. We're all terminal. We're all passing through this life. But we have the privilege and the blessing of not looking at death without looking at the resurrected one who will come again. And it's an encouragement to one another. Notice verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Are you doing that? Are you encouraging one another? As sickness sets in, are those among us who deal with long-term illnesses, those among us who are lonely, those among us who are, uh, have emotional difficulties, are we encouraging one another with these words? Christ is coming back and we have hope. Because that mangled body, those, those, uh, you know, that, uh, as our bodies don't function the way that they're supposed to, and we can easily beat ourselves up for it, the reality is we're not, God's not finished with us yet. He's going to transform us. It's not always going to be like this. I'm not always going to be the hypocrite that I am. God's going to change me. And that's encouraging and hope. And I need to tell you that, and you need to tell me that. And finally, point number five. The coming of the Lord is personal. It's impending. It's unmistakable. It's transformational. It's encouraging. And it's personal. Notice what it says. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Now, he could send his angelic armies, could do everything that he needs to, but my guess is at the head of all of this is going to be the Lord himself. Because we saw in how he interacted with his disciples. We saw in the love and see in the love that he shows us in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, that Jesus called his disciples friends. He enjoys their company. He enjoys being with them. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I go to prepare a place for you that you may be with me where I am. And so this is personal to the Lord. My guess is the Lord cannot wait. Maybe he asked the question of the Father, is it today, Father? Is it today that I get to take my people and get to be reunited with them? Isn't it interesting that the church is called the Bride of Christ? I remember as a groom waiting to be married with expectation and hope. 
You show up to the church early, don't you? Because of the excitement. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, the dead who have risen, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. We will meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. I do not believe that we will be with the Lord in the air, always with the Lord. We will not be on the cloud, but the Lord is transforming the earth. He's laying it bare. He's changing it. He's resurrecting the earth. And we saw the heavenly city, the Jerusalem, coming down to earth, and heaven and earth will finally become one. And we will live with resurrected bodies on a resurrected world with a resurrected Lord. What is it that you long for? Maybe you long to be married one day. Maybe you long for a particular opportunity at your work. Maybe you long for reconciliation in a particular relationship. But I know what Jesus longs for. He longs for us. And the greatest thing that we could long for, the thing worthy of all of our hearts, of all of our souls, of all of our mind, of all of our strength, is to be reunited with him. It's personal. You see, the certain future return of Jesus provides the power for present living. It's going to happen. I'm going to be changed. I can take hope in it. He's coming for me. And I will be with him. The truth of the resurrection lets us know the end of the story. And so let us live in the story with power, with hope, with blessing, with encouragement. For that's what it was designed for. And that's why we're given these words. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we know the end of the story. Though we don't know all of it, all of the hows, we do know the truth and the beauty that you're sending your son, Jesus Christ, back. And it will be unmistakable when he comes that we get to hear the trumpet at the end of the race as the crowds begin to shout, as the transformation occurs. Pray for every single one of us that we would have done business with the Lord already because no one knows the day in which your son, Jesus Christ, will come. But for those of us who do worship the Lord and who long and wait for his coming, let us set our hopes on him to be revealed when he comes, bringing salvation and the loved ones that we've lost who are in Christ. Pray all of these things in his name. Amen.